0: Are ready for the word, okay? Let's see. I ran them all off on the first service. Let me see if I can keep you guys here today. Um, I'm in this series on worship, and we've entitled it "Worship Matters" because it does. It is a big deal. It's not optional. Um, It is who you are. It's what you were created to do. It's what God designed you for. God put within you a spirit of all of his creation, you're the only one who possesses a spirit that can relate or connect or fellowship, commune with God. No other part of creation has that ability to do so. Why is that? Because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is how you know God. You can know about God here, but you know God here. A lot of people have a knowledge about something, but they don't have the personal relationship. That's what it's all about. God desires to have a personal relationship with each and every one of you, and I think that's awesome, don't you? So worship matters. David understood that, and this is a story that... Uh, I love preaching from the Old Testament. As many of you know, a lot of our messages come out of the Old Testament. These are examples for us. One of the things I like about being able to dive into the Old Testament is I like to be able to dive into a story and put myself in that story and then be able to bring back some principles and be able to just bring back some practical things that we can apply to our lives because it's not about what happened 2,000 years ago in these individuals' lives. We thank God for sharing that with us, but we live today today. Right? We have issues today. We have things that we deal with today. And God is able to speak to that through these stories. So here it is. It's quite lengthy. So stay with me. And I should have you out of here at least by 2, 2 2.30 at the latest. After David had consulted with his army officers, he addressed the assembled men of Israel as follows. Since you think that I should be your king, since the Lord our God has given his approval, Let us send messengers to our brothers throughout the land. He said, Israel, I'm going to say mentor and beyond, including the priests and the Levites. Why? Inviting them to come and join us. Here's the key scripture in this story. This is what I'm going to base everything out of. Verse 3, and let us bring back the ark of our God. For we have been neglecting it every since Saul became king. There was a unanimous consent for everyone agreed with him. And it was taken from the house of Abinadab on a new cart. And Uzzah and Ohio drove the oxen. Then David and all the people, now watch this. Okay, some of you were wondering why in the world we were doing what we were doing 25 minutes ago. Watch this. Then David, he is what? The king, danced before the Lord with great enthusiasm accompanied by singing and by the zithers and the harps and the tambourines and the cymbals and the trumpets. But as they arrived at the threshing floor of Shidon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out with his hand to steady, to steady the ark because he had touched the ark or to ste- to back up, to steady the ark. Then the anger of the Lord blazed out against Uzzah and killed him because he had touched the ark. And so he died there before God. And David was angry at the Lord for what he had done to Uzzah. And he named the place the outbreak against Uzzah. And it's still called that today. Now David was afraid of God and asked how. Here's the question that we have to answer today. How shall I ever get the ark of God home? Finally, he decided to take it to the home of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, instead of bringing it to the city of David. And the ark remained there with the family of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his family. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would just speak to us, not only to us, Lord, but move us to a place of spiritual growth and development. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. David is one of the most celebrated kings of all of Israel, even to this day. If you go to Jerusalem, you will hear this many times. You will hear it called the city of David. Even this day, it is known as the city of David. And David is loved in part because there are many things um, You know, one of the things is he's a rag to riches story. He's a little shepherd boy out in the field minding his own business. And uh, everyone, even his own father, overlooks him. But yet God did not overlook him. And so David is the one who God chooses to be the next king of Israel. And so David doesn't come to this position out of entitlement, but David comes to this position. Because he was divinely appointed by God, David is so loved and he is so well known that there they um, there people even still talk about the story of David and Goliath. Anybody ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Right? Even non-believers talk about the story of David and Goliath because they can put themselves in that place. Because most of us, at some point or time in our life, are underdogs. The odds are stacked against us. We're at a disadvantage. And so we look at that story and know that we can be outnumbered. There can be greater things against us, but yet God can get us through those things. David is also loved because of the songs and the, and the Psalms and the Proverbs that he wrote. As a matter of fact, many of the songs that we sing in our churches today and many of the methods that we use in worship today are derived from the method and the, and the systems that David set in place thousands of years ago. But that's not the main reason that David is so well-beloved and honored, not only in Israel, but in many places. The reason in the apex of David's popularity is found in his ability to establish and to reinstitute the order of worship among God's people. You see, David understood that as he began to be and take the rulership of Israel, that he was in the position of king, he knew that Israel had a problem. And he knew that he could not go forward unless this problem was addressed and this problem was solved. And the problem that David had centered around this issue of worship. Everyone say worship. Better yet, it was the lack thereof of worship. Because worship had been marginalized in Israel at this time. And David points it out in verse 3, and I read it in your hearing. And David said, listen, the ark of God has been neglected ever since Saul." became king. Now, in case some of you don't understand and know what the ark was and is and what it represents, the ark of the covenant, the ark of God, represented the divine presence of God. Uh, I'll talk more about that as we go through this message. But it represented God. It represented his, his presence. It's what led the nation of Israel through the wilderness, It was the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Like I said, I'll get more into that in a minute. I just want you to see that David said, the thing that's missing in our nation is worship. Could I talk about that probably right now? He said, the thing that's missing in our country is worship. What he was saying is God is not the center. He's not the centerpiece of what we do. And in order for me to be successful as your king, and in order for this nation to prosper, we have to make sure that God is at the center of everything that we do and that worship is not marginalized, but we make people understand that worship matters going from this point forward. You have to understand something about King Saul. Saul was the people's choice. He really wasn't God's choice. God said, You don't need a king. All the other nations had a king. God said, all you need is the box, the ark. It was a box. He said, all you need is the box. As long as the box or the ark is with you, you will succeed. Your enemies will be defeated. He said, you don't need an earthly king. I will be your king. That box will represent my presence, and that box will lead and guide you and direct you into all truth. But they rebelled against that, and they said, we want a king. So they chose Saul. And so Saul represents the flesh. It is the desire of man. And so David was born of the Spirit. God picked David. Not the people, but God picked David. And the reason that God picked David was not because he was flawless, but the reason that God picked David was because he was a man after God's own heart. The reason that God picked David was because David understood that if he was going to be successful in anything that he would do in life, God had to be the center of it, and God had to be first and foremost above everything else. As a matter of fact, there was one time when David got in trouble. You can read about it in Psalm chapter 51. David got in trouble, and he starts repenting because of his sin with Bathsheba, and he starts listing all of these things, and he starts confessing his sin, and he gets to this place, and he says, listen, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, God, you can take my position. You you can take my prestige. You can take the palace. You can take the power. But God, there's one thing I don't want you to take from me. God, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's what I need, Father. I need your Spirit leading, guiding, directing in my life. And how many of you know all of these other things are insignificant if God is not in the middle of it? So David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of the Spirit. Saul was a man of the flesh. And anything is of the flesh will satisfy itself. So the spirit and the flesh are at odds with one another. The spirit and the flesh war against one another. That's why you can come into a place like today and the flesh will say, Don't do that. And the flesh will say, I don't feel like worshiping. And the flesh will say, I don't feel like praising God. And the flesh will say, stay at home. And the flesh will say, it doesn't take all of that. But the spirit will say, come on, soul, let's worship the Lord. The spirit will say, let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Let's enter into his courts with praise. Come on, soul, get with it. The spirit is always driving us to a deeper relationship and understanding with God. And so Saul, being born of the spirit, neglects the worship of God. And as a result of neglecting the worship of God, the nation of Israel gets weaker and weaker as time goes on. And they become more vulnerable to the attacks of their adversaries. And so as long as Israel, you can read their history. As long as Israel had the box with them, their enemies could not defeat them. As long as the Ark of the Covenant The presence of God was in the middle in the camp with Israel. Their enemies could not defeat them. And the interesting thing about that whole concept and whole scenario is this. The Philistines figured it out. The Philistines figured out that the box was helping Israel. Isn't it amazing how the enemy is able to identify our strengths more than we are? The enemy realized that the strength that Israel possessed was in the box. The strength that Israel possessed, even though they didn't understand the box and couldn't comprehend the box, they understood that what was ever happening in that box was keeping them from defeating the nation of Israel. How many of you know that as long as God is on your side, there's nothing that can overtake you and there's nothing that can defeat you and there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper? And so because Israel neglected the box, because they neglected the Ark of the Covenant, they grew weaker and weaker in their spirit and stronger and stronger in their flesh because whatever you feed the most will become the strongest in your life. So if you starve your spirit, man, and feed your flesh all the time, your flesh is going to lead, guide, and direct you rather than the Spirit of God. Makes sense, right? Perfect sense. And so they realized that that Israel had neglected The box. They had neglected the presence of God. So they said, This is our opportunity to capture the box. And so the Bible says that they went and they defeated the nation of Israel. And in the process, they took the box with them and they took the box home with them. And so the Philistines worshiped this God by the name of Dagon. And Dagon was an image that they made and erected was half fish and half man and so they set dagon up in their temple and they would go in and they would worship this image well they decided to put the ark beside dagon and so the next morning when they came in they found dagon their god lying face first on the ground they thought that was strange what happened nobody's been in here but yet our god is on the ground and so they had to pick their God back up and prop him up and put him back on their little platform. How many are thankful that you, you, you serve a God that you don't have to pick up and prop up? Amen. Come on, somebody. He's God all by himself. So the next time they come in, the next morning they come in, there's Dagon. He's on the floor again. Only this time the Bible said that his hands were broken off of him and his head was severed from off of his shoulders. And so what that represents was this. The hand is symbolic of power, right? The hand is symbolic of power. The head is symbolic of authority. And what that simply means to you and I is this. Our enemies are powerless, and they have no authority over us as long as God is our king. Amen. Amen. As long as God is our king, our enemy is powerless. He has no authority over us. It's only when we relinquish and we don't allow God's presence to rule and reign in our life, it's only then that the enemy becomes powerful enough to overtake us and use his authority against us. This also reminds me of what Jesus said and what the Bible teaches us is that God said, I'll have no other gods beside me or before me. So anytime you try to put another God beside God, they will always fall at his feet. And so the Philistines started to wonder because for the next seven months, the Bible said that strange things begin to happen to them. Don't have time to get into all of it, but there were things that began to happen to them that they thought and they felt like they were under a curse because if you're not in covenant relationship with that box, then it works in the opposite effect. And so instead of the blessings coming, it's the curses that were being released upon them. And they finally figured it out after seven months of all these things going on in, the, in, their, in their camp that they said, it's the box. We got to get rid of the box. And so they took the box and they put it in, and they sent it to a place. And uh, the Bible says that they sent it to Kajath-Jireh and they left it there and it ended up in Abinadab's house. And for 20 years, everyone say 20 years. And for 20 years it remained there. So the whole time that Saul is king, he never sought the presence of God. He sought witches, He called 1-800-DIAL-WITCH. He sought all of these other things, but the Bible said that he never inquired of the Lord. And we laugh about that, but I'm telling you right now, we have Christians that are calling psychic networks to try to determine their future. Let me tell you something. That psychic doesn't know your future. Amen. That psychic doesn't know anything about you. They're tapping into spirits that know about you, but not good spirits. Amen. God knows your future. God knows your story. And if you've been messing with that stuff, just renounce it. Get it under the blood and move on and let God... Come on, I'm just trying to educate some people in it because the enemy deceives us, right? That's putting someone ahead of God. And so Saul sought all of these things, but he did not seek God. And the kingdom was stripped from him. It tells us the importance of making God first and foremost in our lives. And so the ark must become the center of everything we're going to do. And David understood this. And David was saying, we have an issue in this nation, and the issue is worship. And until we settle this issue, reestablish this issue, and make sure that God is the center of everything that we do, our nation is going to continue to be in a mess. Could I preach about that? Yes, I could, but I won't, so I'll move on. So David was saying, if we're going to move forward, we must have the presence of God in our midst. The issue is is worship. Say the issue is worship. The issue is worship. You know, I said in the first service that some people think I'm angry when I preach. I'm really not. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm really not. But I also told them God did not call me to preach from my head. God called me to preach from my heart. So you're getting my heart. And anytime you get someone's heart, there Anytime you get someone's heart, there's emotion attached to it there's passion attached to it, right? There's passion, there's emotion attached to it. That's why they were dancing. That's why they were shouting. That's why they had instruments. That's why they were praising God with everything that was within them. Because God made us a passionate people. And we have to understand that the issue is worship. And we have to settle that. We have to understand that worship is what defines us. It's who we are. Listen to me. It's always been the desire of God to dwell among his people. Everybody experiences the omnipresence of God. That's God is everywhere. You've never been to a place where God's not been. You'll never go anywhere that God's not. That's the omnipresence of God. All of creation enjoys the omnipresence of God. But God says, I have a chosen people. I have a people that I have chosen to share my Shekinah glory with. Maybe you've never heard that term. But the glory of the Lord is the manifested, concentrated presence of God. Adam experienced it in the garden. It was God, and it was God all day, and it was all God. When he sinned, he stepped out of the garden and he enjoyed the omnipresence of God. He was driven from the presence of God. But what distinguishes us from every other group that meets is the fact that when we meet, whether it's two or three or 300, when we meet in his name, the Bible says he is there in the midst of us. That's what separates us from everyone else. Aren't you thankful that God is with us this morning? If you are, give him a praise and give him a shout in this house today. Listen, our moral standards do not distinguish us as the people of God. We should live by moral standards by the book, but there are other religions that have moral standards. What distinguishes us from everyone else is God's desire to dwell among us in a tangible way. That's why people who don't know God Can come to a service and may not be able to pinpoint there's something in the atmosphere. There's something in the, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but there's something in that place that I've never experienced before. There's something in that room that I've never, that I've never been a part of before Can I tell you what that something is? The something is the box. Can I tell you what that box is? It is the manifested presence of God. And aren't you thankful that the box, the presence of God, is with us today? And every time that we meet, the box is with us. So it's the tangible presence of God in our midst. Now, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. But I wouldn't give you two cents for a dead church. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give you two cents where the Spirit of God doesn't have freedom to move. I wouldn't do it. Some might, but I won't. He's a living God. He's a moving God. And I want to be a part of that. Ooh, I told you I ran half a of them off the first service. So I want to be a part of a group that recognizes God is in our midst. And if God is in our midst, as David was bringing the ark back, they were shouting, they were praising, they were clapping, they were singing, they were worshiping God. That's the kind of culture, the atmosphere that we want to create. Now watch me now. I'm not talking about chaos. And I'm not talking about confusion. And I'm not talking about disorder. And I'm not talking about us doing whatever we want to do. Are you still with me? I feel like I'm losing you right now. Focus, focus, focus. We're going to eat in a little bit. Focus. (laughs) Because God said, listen, there's a pattern, there's a blueprint, there's a way that this is to be done, it's to be done in order. He even had to address the Corinthian church because they got out of disorder. He had a group over here in service doing this, had a group over there doing that, and it was total chaos. And he said, when people come to your services, they think you're crazy. I've been in a couple of those. Anybody? Come on, help me out. Anybody ever been there? Uh Uh-huh. He said, when people come into your services, it's in Corinthians. He said, when they come there, they think you're crazy. He said, get some order in that place. He said, you can, be, you can worship God with enthusiasm. You, could, you can use the gifts of the Spirit, and we should. But he says, there is an order about it. Maybe I'll get on there soon, but there's an order about it. But that order can be seen even in the Old Testament as God set up the tabernacle with Moses. I want you to look at this with me because there is an order to the movement of God. There's an order to the flow of God. There were 12 tribes in Israel Right? This is how God would lead his nation. And I want you to look with me. There's a picture that I want to show you right here. It's coming. Oh, I forgot about that, didn't I? I've talked. This is the picture of the mercy seat, by the way, or the Ark of the Covenant. Right here. I forgot. I'm sorry, guys. Forgot all about it. Notice there are rings on the outside. That's where the poles would go through. I'll talk about that in a minute. Notice the angels, the two cherubims on top of the mercy seat. Notice they're facing each other. Notice their wings touch each other. Because if we can dwell together in unity, that's where the power of God manifests among us. It takes unity. It's not just coming together, but it's dwelling together in unity. But what really gets me is the Bible says that these angels are are crafted in such a way that they're peering down on the mercy seat. And they are gazing in wonder because they can't, have not had the experience that you and I have had. The angels of the Lord, and I talked a lot about angels last week, but the angels of the Lord have not experienced what you and I have experienced, and that is the grace of God, and that is the mercy of God. And that is fulfilling 1 Peter 1 and 12, where the angels gaze in amazement, wondering about the worship that we have because God's amazing grace. Is anybody thankful for the grace of God in this room today? Okay, give me to the next place thank you Heather I'm sorry so right here was the tabernacle of Moses all right was a tent there were three sections there was the outer court that's where the sacrifices took place the brazen altar there was the inner court there were three pieces of furniture in the inner court as you walked in, to the right, there was the table of showbread. To the left, there was the candle arbor. right before you went into the most holy place. There was a curtain that came down. There was a golden altar right here that, that, that before you could go in, you had to go through all these pieces of furniture. You don't have time to talk about it. But behind that veil rested the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the glory of God. And then God would move. And all these camps, all these tribes were to be situated. There were leaders, four leaders, three groups in each, each, with each leader. To the west, there's the camp of Ephraim. To the south, the camp of Reuben. To the north, the camp of Dan. These all have significant meanings. Don't have time to talk about them today. But to the east was the tribe of in the camp of Judah. Somebody help me out this afternoon and tell me what the name Judah means. Praise. Praise. Thank you so much. So the sun rises in the east, and the first thing that needs to come out of our mouth every morning is praise. Praise. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Praise. So God says there's going to be an order to how we do things. There's going to be an order to the movement. And so what would happen is whenever God was getting ready to move, I'm going somewhere, I promise. Whenever God was getting ready to move, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's how they would move. Whenever that cloud began to move, they knew that it was time to take up the tents, get the ark out, and let's go. And so whenever they would move, every tribe, every person had to march in this order. So if you were looking down at 30,000 feet on this order of worship, What you would see moving through the wilderness is what? What does that look like? It looks like a cross. So what you would see moving through the wilderness was a cross. I told you everything in your Bible always points back to Jesus. So what the Bible tells us is this: when we move in the order of God, it glorifies and magnifies Jesus. And Jesus said, "If you'll lift me up, I'll draw all men unto myself." That's why Judah has to go first. That's why praise has to go first, because when we praise Him, we lift Him and. We When we lift him, people are drawn to him. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord with me in this house right now. Hallelujah. If we're going to march, we're going to march in the spirit and unity of praise and oneness because our God is great and greatly to be praised. Got to hurry, running out of time. Watch this. David knew that God... Designed and created them to worship. And David knew that the box had to be the center of everything that they would do as a nation. So David says, Let's go get the box. Touch your neighbor and tell them, Let's get the box. If I come down there, Ethan, can you get me on? Okay, okay, because you're streaming, there's people watching. down here. It's been a long time since I've been down here with you all. How y'all doing today? Come on. I told you it's with passion. So David said, we're going to go get the ark because we're not going forward until we have the presence of God established in our midst. I could say it too. We're not going forward until we have the presence of God established in our midst. He has to be the center of everything that we do. He's the center of groups. He's the center of our worship. He's the center of our service. He has to be the centerpiece of everything. And David says, I'm gonna go get the ark and he's gonna be the center. God's presence is gonna be the centerpiece of everything that we do. So his motive is right, is it not? He's got a pure motive. All he wants is the presence of God among his people. So they go and they get the ark and they're dancing and they're celebrating. They're worshiping. They're good Pentecostals. They're celebrating the presence of God God's coming back God is going to be in our midst let God arise our enemies are going to scatter we're reestablishing the order of God and all of a sudden the ox begins to stumble and that ark is resting on that ark and who's in an innocent act seemingly reaches out to steady the ark and as soon as he touched that which was sacred. Listen to that. As soon as he touched that which was holy, as soon as he put his hand, be careful what you speak against. As soon as he put his hand against God's movement, as soon as he put his hand against God, he died on the spot. Well, how many of you know that, that threw a wrench in everything? Party over, service dismissed. Dismissed. Right? That'd be kind of tough. Well, we better dismiss the service now. We're going to have to call the deacons and the elders together because we have a problem. David becomes frustrated and becomes angry at God. God, what's going on here? And it tells me this, and I've preached this way, and I'm going to have to go back and study some more because I've always said something like this, and you've probably heard this. It doesn't matter what method you use as long as the message is the same. It's hotter down here, by the way. (laughs) But that story tells me that the method that we use does matter. That our motive could be right, but if we're using a method, that God is not a part of, then we're out of order. If that method is of the flesh, then it's out of order. Are you with me? Here's what I think. Remember I said Abinadad? Who was the son of Abinadad? Uzzah. Who had become comfortable with the presence of God? Uzzah. Who had become familiar with the presence of God? Uzzah. Who's the one who took the presence of God for granted? Oozah. This is where we need to be careful. That when we come into this place, that we don't take God's presence for granted. Oh, it's just God. It's just worship. I don't I don't need to go into worship. I'm a word man. I'm a word person. I'll just wait until the word's being preached. Uh-oh. Stepping on some toes now. Worship matters. It matters. And we can't get to the place in our life, and this church can never get to the place where we take his presence for granted, where we become so familiar with the presence of God. Ah, it's just God. It's just another worship servant. Just another song. It's quiet. Are you praying for me? Thank you. So we have to be careful about our methods David's like, what in the world are we supposed to do now? All the while, the ark, the box, remember the box? I'm trying to quit. It's at Obed-Edom's house. And guess what happened to Obed-Edom? He started getting muscles, and he wasn't even working out. His kids started behaving. He didn't have to tell them anything. His wife was feeding, dropping him grapes as he laid on a hammock. Come on, guys, help me. I'm pulling for us. (laughs) Hey, the Bible said, as soon as that box got in his house, everything in his house was blessed. My gosh, I could preach on that for the rest of the day. As soon as the box got in his house, everything in his house was blessed. Listen, it starts in our homes. And we bring it as we come together in worship. If you really want to be blessed, get the box in your home. If you want your kids to be blessed, get the box in your home. If you want your finances to be blessed, get the box in your home. In other words, get the presence of God dwelling in your midst. And I'm telling you, your house will be blessed. Your pets will be blessed. And your neighbors will be saying, what is going on over there? Got to hurry. Man. Got to hurry. Now I'm just, I'm just out here freelancing. I'm in trouble. <laughs> David said, we've got to figure this out because we can't do without the presence of God. And I, I think the church needs to figure it out. Because I think the church is just as guilty as what David was guilty of. In other words, let's just wheel God in here. Because we need some miracles in the place today. Come on in, God. Wheel him in. Okay, God, it's been 45 minutes. Wheeling back out. Wheeling back out. Okay, God. Got some needs in this place. Wheel him in. Come on, praise team. Wheel him in. Okay, needs are met. Wheel him back out. Okay, God, here we are. Oh, it's church time. Come on, God. Come on in. Wheel him in, everyone. Pastor, will you hurry? I got to... Wheel him out. Wheel him out. Get him out of here. And God is saying, hey, uh-uh. I'm not a God that you can wheel in and wheel out anytime you want. If you want me in your midst, you're going to do it my way. You're going to do it my way. My way. Help me out, Heather, or I'll preach all day. I said 2.30, and I wasn't lying. Here we go. So David says, okay, it's been three months. I think I got this thing figured out. He said, the Lord destroyed us before. Why? Because we handled the matter inappropriately. So it matters how we worship. So, we didn't do it right. He's talking to the priests who were responsible for the ark. So, the priests and the Levites underwent the ceremonies of sanctification. That's a word we don't really want to talk about anymore. That's, a, that's an old church word. Any old church people in here? Let me see you, you grannies. <laughs> that's an old church term right there. You'd hear that term a lot growing up. I'm saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. There you go. That's how we used to testify. And if you weren't sanctified, we'd get you in the altar and make sure you were sanctified before you left that day. There is a truth to this, that we can't just live any old way and do just any old thing and expect God to show up. Whew, quiet. He said, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord. So there is a part of sanctification that we need to go back to. Amen? because we're looking like the world, we're talking like the world, we're acting like the world, and the world's acting more like church than the church is. And then he says, in preparation for bringing home the ark of Jehovah. Come on, praise team, help me out because I'll I'll go all day. So, So there is a preparation on our part. In other words, it doesn't start on Sunday. It starts on Monday morning. Who's going first? Judah. (laughs) Judah's going first. So that by the time we reach this point on Sunday morning, man, we are in fifth gear. Are you hearing me? We're not pumping. We're not priming. We don't have to go through three songs to get us off the ground. We come in soaring in the presence of God. Are you with me right now? We come in under the umbrella of the presence of God. Why? Here it is. So the priests and the Levites, so the Levites carried the ark, how? Not on a cart, on their shoulders. I don't have time to tell you and show you, but you are the priest today. I don't have time to show you, but I can tell you that you are the carrier of the ark today. Because where does the presence of God dwell? In us. We are the carriers of the ark. And God says, I don't want you just to wheel me in and wheel me out anytime you want. God says, I want you to get up underneath this thing. Remember I said the Shekinah glory in the Hebrew, it's it's the word Kabat, it's the weight of God. And you've been in those services where you just feel the weight of God just settle in a place. You begin to feel the weight of God in a place. If you've never been there, it's an awesome experience. And the reason God says, I want you to carry it this way is he said, I want you to feel the weight of my presence. And the reason God wants you to feel the weight of his presence is because God says, I don't want you to program me. And the reason God doesn't want us to program him is because God says, whenever I get ready to move, I want you to be flexible enough and feel my presence enough that you can move with me so that we're not so rigid and we're not so programmed that God, that's not on our program today. We didn't say you could do that today, God. We didn't write that in the program today, God. Stick to the program, God. God says, no, when I come in a place and if I want to move, I want priests who are open enough, who can feel my weight and say, wait a minute, something just shifted in the room. Like I feel right now. Something is moving in the room, and I feel the presence of the Lord where God says, okay, let's go this way. And God begins to minister to the needs of his people. How many of you want to get up underneath the weight of this thing and experience the glory of God? Stand to your feet, would you? Was this okay? Come on, Flossom, give me five. Come on. So they get up underneath the weight of it. They start carrying the presence of God. I'm telling you, you can't preach messages like this and it not change what's going on in our church. So I'm just going to forewarn you, there's a change coming in this house. I've been waiting for five years to lay it on you, but there's a change coming in this house. Had to get the foundation laid, but there's a change and it's all good. It's all good. We need to be spirit-led, spirit-driven. And be organized and structured as well. How many of you believe that today? Come on, let's give him praise.